Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 76 of Hack to Start. This episode features Nancy Ha, the CEO of Optimize, an A-B testing platform for iOS and Android. Tyler and I want to invite Nancy onto the show to share her story as an entrepreneur and what it's been like building Optimize. Nancy was an algorithmic trader before diving into startups. She noticed a huge gap between the approach taken by large teams of developers compared to small independent teams when it came to mobile app development. Optimize was born to level the playing field and was quickly accepted into Y Combinator for the 2013 summer cohort. Nancy is going to share tons of insights around raising money, maintaining a startup culture, and much more. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Nancy. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're super excited uh, to have you on and to learn more about uh, your story as an entrepreneur and Optimize. So uh, how about we kick things off by getting to know a little bit more about you, like where you're from, what you studied, and how your passion for entrepreneurship uh, really, really developed? Well, I studied math with CS at MIT. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was just there visiting my dad over Thanksgiving. Passion for entrepreneurship. I don't feel like I had a passion for entrepreneurship. I think I'm kind of surprised that we started this company. Oh, what I do have is when um, I see stuff that sucks, I get actually pretty inspired because I'm like, oh, I can do way better. <laughs> that's awesome. Fix that. So I think that's kind of what happened with this company. But when I watch movies that suck, I'm always like, I could have made this movie so much better. They've just shown me the screenplay for like five minutes before <laughs> making this movie. <laughs> that's awesome. So what was your what was your background like before you uh, founded Optimize? Um, I did high frequency trading after MIT um, in Chicago, New York. I think a lot of things that I was really lucky to get into that space at the time that it was that I was in there because there was a lot of stuff that was getting invented for the first time. There was a lot of like events that were happening for the first time in financial history, and mobile is like that right now. Like a lot of the things that made me good at trading at that time are what's exciting to me about our space. So I don't know. I kind of like sought that out again, where there's a lot of stuff that's happening for the first time in human history, um, a lot of new stuff getting invented, a lot of confusion, um, technology is changing all the time, you needing to be ad- adaptive. I like environments like that. Cool. And so what is high frequency trading and, and how did you get involved in that out of MIT? They just recruited at MIT. I had some friends who were in like proprietary trading at some of these teams and I could see that I would be really good at it. It's like, it's all automated trades. I mean, that's how all trading is now basically yeah everything is just electronic and um i ran a team i had a quant i had a developer i had an operations person um i had another trader on my team it's a lot of fun so today you're currently the ceo of optimize for those who are not familiar with the application can you give us a little overview and share with us what motivated you to start it yeah of course um in a nutshell we're like a b testing and optimization for apps our customers are companies like Trulia, Hotel Tonight, Orbitz. I mean, I'm thinking about different verticals. Uh, Rhapsody, Strava. I don't know. We're in a lot of different apps. Wall Street Journal, Western Union. Um, and they use us to 
make changes instantly to go around the app store because that whole deployment process is pretty lengthy and mm-hmm. um, arduous. And they also use us to send different versions of their apps to different users to make sure that their customers get the best mobile experience possible. When I started the company, I was working on a few different apps and I had friends who were all across the spectrum in terms of mobile development. Like I had friends who were, you know, indie developers and I had friends who were working on the most popular and complicated apps in the world, like Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. And um, I think the thing that people didn't realize, maybe still don't know, is like the top like 10 apps in the world develop really differently from everyone else from the rest of the 99.9%. And they're just on a different level in terms of the speed with which they do stuff and how fast they can get new versions out there and the complexity of all the stuff they're working on. Yeah. So that was what motivated us to start Optimize because give our customers a lot more control over the versions of their apps and what goes into each version, what they deploy to different people, who sees what. And we let people move you know, 10, 100,000 times faster <laughs> through a mm-hmm. lot of the things that we remove from the deployment process and put in the hands of people that can just make those changes instantly. So that's what <laughs> makes me excited about our space, that you don't have to be one of the top apps in the world in order to develop a lot faster and be competitive. Yeah. And, and so I, I just wanted to point out, because I deal with it every day uh, with, with various apps, about how bad the app store process, the review process is, and, and how little control you have. So how did you actually pinpoint that this was a problem for developers? And, and especially, like you said, the like, smaller developers, maybe, who don't have as many people working on an app. Um, you know, what, what kind of gave you perspective in, into that market need? Oh, first it was just trying it. I, I tend to start stuff with the end in mind. So we were like, we were building this one app for fun and I could just tell that like, it was like, oh, how many deployments can we get out if we're just moving as fast as possible? And it was like five over the course of a year or something like that. And just, I don't know, that's way too slow when you don't even know exactly what your app is going to be doing and what's going to work. Like you can't, with UX especially, this, the bar is really high on mobile. So you need to make that experience really slick. Otherwise, why do they download your app if it's not an amazing user experience. The app store is like the first bottleneck that we saw, but I don't know, it's super obvious. Like if you just talk with anyone who works in mobile development, they will tell you the same things that it's a really pain. It's a really big pain to deploy stuff. And like after you launch it, you kind of lose control of it until your next deployment. Um, It's also really complicated to QA. Mobile QA is not at all solved. Um, And the level of complexity that you have to deal with all the devices and operating systems is really hard so that you have to go through this code freeze and stuff like that. I don't know. It just... It, I don't think it was that novel of an idea. And it's it's already what everyone would eventually be doing in 10 years if we didn't exist. But I felt like we could add a lot of value by accelerating that change. Yeah, absolutely. It's super cool. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the world is always saying, you know, like mobile first, but I don't think a lot of people realize what goes into mobile. So it's cool that you guys found a, a niche to explore and build some software in. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So in 2013, Optimize was accepted into Y Combinator. What was the application process like? And would you be able to give us some insights of what it was like to go through the program? Um, At first, I wasn't sure I was going to apply because it's actually like it sounded like a big chunk of the company. And um, I already knew a lot of people who had been involved in the program. Um, So I was like, oh, I already know all the all the network. And I can also just read these Paul Graham essays whenever I want. But it was actually awesome. Like it made fundraising a lot easier for one thing. And also the network, it's really different. It's a really strong network process. I mean, I think I get pretty... Like when I really, I don't know, I'm good at getting into stuff. I'm good at applying to things, but it's partly because I like just get really intense on um, what I should be doing. So I think we spent like, I don't know, at least 10 hours on the application. And then I also spent at least 10 hours talking with friends who'd already gotten in and asking them to help me like prepare for the interview. 
I don't know, <laughs> be a Paul Graham simulator. I do that with a lot of people now too, where I can ask them what I know people will probably ask. And uh, that was super helpful. I think it cleaned up like a lot of our thinking around our strategy. And I think our company is still basically like this. I don't know. You want to be inquisitive and you want to ask the, the tough questions and you want to notice when they make you uncomfortable because it probably means that you're like trying to gloss over something or that you don't really know what the answer is. And then you want to poke that feeling until you're assured that you actually are confident in what you do know and what you don't know. So you eventually raised a seed round of $2.1 million and then another Series A of $4 million just 12 months later, which you described on your blog as a completely different experience. And we'll link to this later on. Um, but can you tell us a bit more about these two funding rounds and what it was like for you to go through this? Okay, so for the seed, Y Combinator makes it so easy because you have demo day. So we did you know, handshake deals. It's like a protocol that Paul Graham set up. So we did a lot of those right after our um, demo and then there was just like back-to-back meetings for a few days. And I just was closing people in the order that was happening. But at the time, it was weird because like we hadn't really officially launched. We'd beta launch, mm-hmm. but we didn't have um, a lot of, like we didn't have anyone paying us or anything. Um, so it was very much about the vision and, you know, just the founding team. Uh, for the Series A, it's really, really different. Although it was still very much about the vision, but there's just like more to go on because we'd already launched. We had our first few customers. And it was about like, what are you going to use the money for? Like scale out these things. And I don't know, you're supposed to have a lot more proven out at that point. So that was a pretty different sell. And also with seed, I don't know, like the seed investors were a lot of different people. Whereas the series A, it's just one person and they're kind of more betting their career on you. So it's a pretty different process where you have to make them really confident that they're making the right choice. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So if, if someone were to go seek out some funding right now, what are some best practices that you would, you would uh, give to someone? Like it depends on how much it is. If it's a seed round, then I'd say um, go with people who are into your space and they should be able to make a decision fairly rapidly because it is a seed investment and they probably do a ton of those. So they should be able to get back to you and not waste your time. Like one of my seed investors, Eric Race, is like he just gave us the money without ever really talking to us <laughs> because he was, I was talking with him and he has this philosophy where it's like he doesn't want to waste um, entrepreneurs' time, like running through a deck and like, you know, putting on this show for him. Like he just can look at the product on his own and just decide on his own and not really use a lot of your time. So I think that's like seed investing, raising a seed round, it should be fairly simple. Like you have, like they can get all the information they need to make a decision within a half hour. Series A, that's a lot harder because that's like, like I was saying, yeah. So Series A, that's more like enterprise sales because you have to persuade a fund that they're all going to collectively back you. And they're very, they're more constrained on their time. Like seed investors, they do a lot of seed investments. So there is no constraint other than their, the amount of money that they want to allocate at any period. Whereas for the fund, they're like going to be on your board and you're probably the only investment that they're going to make in that exact thing. So they need to be assured that you're the right call. So you have to make sure that um, they're going to do a lot of diligence. They're going to talk to your customers. Um, so you And they're going to talk to each other when you're not in the room. Whereas with the seed investors, usually they can just make the decision on, on the spot. So you just want to make sure that they have the decision, like the information they need for their decision um, right there, and then they can decide. <laughs> Whereas for the fund, like they're going to talk about it over a series, over a period of weeks at least. And um, you need to make sure that your advocate has enough information to um, feel confident that they can represent the case even when you're not there. And if they don't feel like they have that background, then they're not going to do it because they're going to seem stupid in front of their partners and they don't want to do that. And so you want to make them feel like they know everything that they need to know. And you also want them to actually, in reality, know all that stuff too, so that um, when they're 
representing you, they can like back up everything about why the fund should make this choice. A few funds have like um, policies where they all need to agree. So yeah, just a lot more rigorous of a, of a process and you need to have a lot more evidence that it's a, it's a good call. Whereas the seed, it's like just so much about the feeling of the vision and the, the angels interest in the space in general, and they can make a ton of investments that are just all very similar without like thinking too hard about it. But series A, that's super different. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, some, that's some good insight and, and good advice. So today, Optimize is, is used by uh, brands like Hotel Tonight, Strava, Vivo, and you named a few more earlier. But how did you guys actually acquire uh, your first few customers? What was that process like? Our first few customers found us. They One of our first customers, Rakuten, I mean, that's like a their top 10 in the world in, in e-commerce and revenue. It's like a 10,000 plus person Japanese company. But in Japan, mobile is already way bigger than web. So a majority of transactions are happening on mobile. So they know that they need to optimize all those transactions and they know that they need to like invest in deploying a lot faster on mobile. So they found us. And I think the main thing to do with your earlier customers is like, you don't really need marketing or anything at that point. Like they're early adopters. So they know that they have the pain. They, they know that they need this thing. They just want to look at your product and verify that it even works and that's even possible. And then they're like, wow, that's amazing. And then they'll buy it. So what we did early on is just invest in making sure that the product was awesome and that they could get value from it right away. And it's not like this really long process where they need to like, I don't know, do a lot of customer development or something like that to get it to work. It was just really clear that it solved this immediate pain for them. So that's how you get the earlier customers because it's all about the product early on. Like later, then you can build out more of a brand and, and other stuff. But early customers, they just really need something that um, fixes their problem elegantly. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So how big is the team now? And what has your sort of day-to-day role uh, become like? Um, our team's around, it's like 20 full-time people. And then we have like a few contractors. Right now, I'm running sales. That's really fun. Um, I'm also... <laughs> Um, doing a lot of executive hiring. I just hired a VP of customer success. I'm about to hire a VP of sales. I'm also the main one that thinks about the funding strategy. So I'll do our series B and there's a lot of manage, like we're not sure I'm allowed to talk about it, but we're, we're going to launch a new product really soon. And that's really exciting. There's a lot of new product stuff that we're thinking about. And, uh, there's a lot of marketing initiatives too. Like there's so much to do on the marketing side. I think that's more what we're focused on now that we have a lot of customers that have great stories so that we can take advantage of that rare data that we're generating and can come out with stuff that's more interesting to the wider community and make sure that people know about what everyone is trying on mobile and how top apps in the world are innovating. Yeah, absolutely. That's super cool. I have to look forward to uh, to that kind of stuff. So with the team kind of growing so quickly, how do you approach also building a culture within Optimize um, and, and maybe also like as you were going through uh, y Combinator, what was that? What was the culture like? The culture's changed a lot. When we were going through Y Combinator, we all worked all the time. Like the first year and a half of the company, we all worked like we worked every day. On the weekends, we would work out of my house because that was more of an illusion that like it, we're just hanging out, not actually working, <laughs> but we were working. Um, I mean, we worked Christmas Eve, we were Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. So I think like that's not true anymore. Like we don't work that much anymore. Um, now it's more about scaling and being able to, cause now, you know, we've like, you can't work 10 X as many hours. So you need to figure out another way to get that efficacy. I think some things about the culture that haven't changed are, and that I wouldn't anticipate changing are we're all very committed to the company and very ambitious for our customers, making sure that they improve really fast. Um, and we also tend to try to like, a lot of what lets us be successful is trying things a lot faster and being really innovative and not being scared to like 
just move faster <laughs> and see what happens. Like when we started the company, there were more than a dozen competitors that already existed and a lot of them are dead now. And I think part of it is like in mobile, you need to just move really rapidly if you want to compete. And so that has to be a part of the culture. Um, but now a lot of those companies are dead because I can see like, you know, they just weren't moving that fast. They weren't trying a lot of new stuff. And you can't really do that on mobile because there's new technologies that come out, you know, every week. And um, there's also a lot of stuff that is that you need to just keep up on top of and be the expert. And to do that, you need to try a lot of new stuff and take some risks. So I think that's what we're all about as a company. And I don't need to say that changing even as we grow. So Optimize helps developers fill the gap in between releases. What does Apple think about the, the you know, the application, the software that you guys have built? So we're in a lot of top apps in the app store. So their main policy is they want to do stuff that is a better user experience for their customers. I mean, like, you know, consumers. And that's what Optimize is all about. Like we want to make sure the mobile experience is awesome. Um, so as long as like we're aligned with that, then they're really happy with us. And this is like A-B testing is the type of thing that every top app does. So we want to make sure that we're really compliant with what Apple's good with and that we make sure that we're aligned with the vision of making their customers really happy. Well, that's really that's really cool that you guys have a, pre, a really strong relationship with Apple. So on another note, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded lately? Oh, I download a ton of apps. Like any new app, I'll just try it. <laughs> I think like, um, let's see what's on my phone right now. And I mean, I download every all of our customers' apps too. So like we just sign, you know, like CarMax and Wall Street Journal and stuff like that. And I'll look at that. I was just like playing around with the Starbucks app. And in San Francisco, like, yeah, so Starbucks is pretty innovative. I've been pretty impressed. Have you used their new payment feature? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's new, it's new in Canada. I don't know about the United States. Oh, I don't know. I see them changing a lot of stuff. So I definitely use it to order. I like matcha. So that's what I get from Starbucks. <laughs> nice. Then um, <laughs> I have like uh, the Postmates app that I've been playing with. I think there's, and then I have like all of the, I have like maybe 12 messaging apps on just my first two home screens. So any new messaging app, I always try that too, because I think those are really cool. Yeah, the newest app that I started messaging on a lot is Telegram. So I like that. That's interesting. What's what's the what's the experience like, and why do, why do you like using the, that app versus others? They are open source, so I can see everything that they're doing. Um, they're also in there's like a security bent to it, and they also come out with a lot of new features. I think it's I like how fast they're moving. So I don't know. I think for me, um, novelty is important. Otherwise, I get bored with the apps. So uh, I like apps that keep delivering new stuff. And most of our customers are like that too. They're always shipping new stuff. That's awesome. So do you have any recommendations on uh, some great content that you might have come across lately? Things like uh, books, videos, or blog posts? Yeah, I read a ton of blogs, um, specifically in mobile. So I read a lot of like stuff that is uh, around design too. Some of it, I don't know if this is interesting to your wider audience, like Core 77, Cool Hunting, Co-Design, Design Milk, Little Big Details. I don't know, a lot of them, One Extra Pixel. Um, I read a lot of VCs blogs. I mean, I'm in like enterprise SaaS, right? So I read all of those blogs, like Tom Tungus, uh, mm-hmm. Jason Lemkin's blog, obviously. Um, and then I read a lot of like, yeah, Union Square Ventures is a pretty good blog. I read a lot of marketing blogs too, like growth essays. I've even been reading like Pragmatic Pricing, Six Pixels of Separation, Benedict Evans' blog. I don't know. <laughs> These are just like my long laundry list of all, all the good ones, ones I read. <laughs> yeah. And cool. I read, I don't know, all YC founders, different blogs. Like Justin Kahn has been writing a little more and reading that stuff. That's awesome. Uh, so do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you uh, think others should know about? So I think that for me, I, I can put up with anything as long as it's 
for the purpose of some like wider mission. Like I can endure a lot of discomfort and pain. I can do a lot of stuff that's like really objectively boring for a really long period of time, <laughs> as long as it's for something else that I think is important. So, and kind of the converse is true where like, if there's no wider reason for me to be doing something, it doesn't matter like how interesting it is. I like will get bored of it within minutes and like, um, and I'll just start feeling like really burned out with it. Like I can't, I can't even do like I don't know. That's why I kind of hate going to the gym unless I like really psych myself <laughs> up that like, oh, I'm doing this so that like if I'm clinging to a cliff, like in this weird scenario of like, I don't know, where I'm like avenging my dead family or something, then I'll be able to do a pull up. Like I always just need to psych myself up to feel like there's some wider reason of doing something. Um, and I think that's how that's how you get through your life in startups, um, because yeah, it's just really easy to get burned out with yourself or with your company or with any relationship if you're not really learning a lot and it's not moving towards some goal that matters to you. Um, I think that I've seen a lot of people get burned out and it's it's not really about like the number of hours they're working or how interesting their work is or anything. Um, it's more about like if they care about the result and if they see that what they're doing is moving towards that result. I see people get burned out with with themselves too. Like if you're not really changing and you're not becoming um, the type of person that you want to be, like, you know, it doesn't matter if you, you know, have a lot of free time or a lot of money or whatever, um, you get bored with yourself. And so I think to avoid that, like you want to have this larger vision. And that's usually what I ask people about. I'll always be like, yeah, what's your mission in life? <laughs> like, or what's your mission for your company, obviously, or what's your mission for um, this thing that you're doing? Um, because I think that's like where everything kind of has to start for you to get a good result. Otherwise you're going to get bored with it and it'll just be like this fad in your life that you were interested in this thing for like, I don't know, a few weeks, then it didn't last. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's some great uh, advice and some great insight. Uh, Nancy, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was really awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for talking with me. Bye guys. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.